Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Sided Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, and today our co host, Adam, cannot be here. So we are welcoming back Jake Meisner, site expert at Cubby's Crib, onto the show. We have a lot to talk about as we are just about a week into spring training 2.0. And there's a lot of news going around the league and the Cubs. So we're going to try to get to everything. Stick around. We got a great show for you tonight. Jake, welcome back to the show. Good to have you back. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. We are slowly and cautiously inching our way toward opening day. So right now, fingers crossed, just doing everything I can to stay safe and do my part because at the end of the day, if you can't do it for yourself and your fellow man, do it for a baseball season. Yeah, exactly. And it's about two weeks away that we're going to have opening day. So, you know, it's going to be here before we know it. When camp opened officially last Friday, I was actually off from work that day because of the 4th of July. And I drove down to Wrigley Field and was just around the ballpark when they started practicing. And you could kind of see through the right field gate what was going on inside. You could see people in blue jerseys and sweaters and uh, you know, those kind of jump shirt type things that you wear, like not exactly a sweater, but it's kind of the things you work out in. But, you know, I saw some of the workouts going on in the field and then they started batting practice and people were out on Waveland ball hawking and not a lot of balls went on to Waveland that day. Maybe like one or two bounced off the back of the bleachers, but you could hear the crack of the bat and then you could hear the thud when they hit the bleacher seats. And obviously, it would have been different about 15 plus years ago before those bleacher renovations, before you had the video board. But just hearing the crack of the bat that day was really nice. And I also ran into Len Casper on the street on Kenmore, I believe, because I was walking around and, you know, he was wearing his mask. I saw his marquee sports net polo. He was coming out for a break, I guess. So I was able to run into him. I saw Javi Baez go into the stadium, but what really struck me that day was just how different everything is because you're having camp in July. I mean, it's crazy, right? It's so unusual. Yeah. I mean, I, it really throws me off because uh, for, for anyone who's listening, who doesn't know, I also work for Wilson sporting goods. So I spent a month split between Florida and Arizona working at camps for glove day this year. So I already went through the whole spring training routine and it was months ago. It was in February. Yeah. And so to see everyone, you know, back at square one trying to get ready and obviously they've all been doing their own, their own work and conditioning and, and staying ready, but really going back to square one as a, as a team and as a unit and trying to pick up where you left off four months ago, it's gotta be disorienting and, and unnatural on top of all the coronavirus precautions and testing and protocol. I mean, it's, as a player, I mean, it's it's strange enough as a fan. For a player, though, it's got to just seem like an out-of-body experience. Well, that's the thing, too, is you're starting from square one in very different circumstances. Never before have we had social distance spring training. Never before have we had to limit the players on the field at once. Never before had you had to wear a mask pretty much all the time. And you can't share gloves. You can't share bats. David Ross yesterday said he had to have a talk with two of their catchers. I think it was Fegley and Higgins. 
that shared a glove and you had to have a talking with them saying, hey, we can't do this. The players can't go out to bars, restaurants. They got to be pretty isolated outside the ballpark. You got to take every precaution because you have players around the league testing positive for the virus. Freddie Freeman is one of the bigger names who tested positive. You have guys coming out around other camps around the league, whether they're named or not. The White Sox had a few. I believe they had two guys test positive. The Cubs are, I think, the only team that so far has not had any positive tests. But, you know, that doesn't mean you won't have any positive tests in the coming weeks. So you got to be really careful here. And one of the first things I wanted to talk about with you, Jake, and I'm sure you would agree with this. I know we haven't seen David Ross manage a team in an actual game. So we haven't seen the way he manages starting pitchers, bullpens, lineups per se, but we've seen him as a manager, as a boss during all this. And you know what? So far, I'm pretty dang impressed by the rookie manager. Yeah, I actually wrote about this two days ago. Um, You know, we would normally be at the all-star break. We'd have 80 games roughly uh, of you know, of a body of work for, for Rossi as a manager to evaluate and nitpick and critique and overthink. Uh, but he just, he is the perfect man for this situation. He, the familiarity between him and the organization, him and the players, I think is absolutely critical right now. Mm-hmm. Um, just given all the, the additional protocols and practices that, I mean, it, it, it really is. Teams have to have an unending trust in everyone, the, the staff, the coaches, the manager, the players. You have to trust everybody in that organization right now because all it takes is one person not being careful and not being, you know, precautious given everything going on to, to derail the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. But, but Rossi, you know, heard from players, hey, this testing, you know, the, the results and the timing, it's, it's not good. We are not comfortable. This isn't working. So what does he do? He gets on the phone to Major League Baseball personally and says, look, this is what's going on. This is not acceptable. And we need to fix it because when my guys are coming to me saying these things, it raises a huge red flag for me as a manager. And, you know, there are, are managers who might need to take their time getting their feet under them. But again, it, for me, it just circles back to that familiarity uh, that that he has with the organization, the players. The players know he has their back, and he's already showing that as a manager through his actions. Yeah, I mean, he's not messing around with anything, and he is trying to create a positive environment while being very serious at the same time. That is not an easy thing to do because you're trying to keep people focused you're trying to get them to see the big picture in both terms of winning ball games and you know what it's going to be like for their health if they follow the rules that's a that's a hard thing to juggle and look david ross his first year as an mlb manager is coming under unthinkable circumstances i mean if you would have gone back 6 7 months ago and you would have told us that this is where we were you would have thought it was something out of a movie or a book or a comic book or something. But the fact that he's handling this so well so far shows how strong of a character he is. It would be in my hockey manager to kind of feel a bit of the heat and the pressure a bit. And I feel the opposite of that on Ross. Heck, the way he talks, the way he addresses his players from what we've seen, this guy feels like a veteran manager. 
Yeah, and I think it just goes back to his playing days and being a catcher, being the captain on the field for the team, it, it does make a difference. And you, you've seen it over the years with really good managers that you know that have really helped shape the game and sh- shape organizations. They were catchers. I mean, guys like Joe Girardi mm-hmm. come to mind, obviously. Um, you know, but Joe Madden was a catcher. Joe Madden was a catcher. And you see, you see these guys. They they make almost a seem Brad Ausness. You know, the, the list goes on and on. Joe Torre. There's just there's just this this seamless transition to the manager's job. And I I know it's not seamless. And I know these guys. And I know Rossi has put in countless hours. You know, working and studying to to be better and and to be ready to make in game decisions. Let alone everything else that he's dealing with as a first year manager. But it, it just it seems like those individuals have a leg up when they're trying to become a manager or trying to get onto a coaching staff. It, it makes sense. It's just, it's, it's great to see Rossi as comfortable and as in charge as he's been so far. Well, catchers are managers in their own way. They're behind a plate trying to manage a game. Communication with other players is key as a catcher. So to be a good catcher, you got to be good at a lot of things. A manager has to be. So I think, you know, it makes sense why catchers make such good managers. And like you said, the list goes on and on. We just listed several very successful managers and catchers. I mean, Joe Madden never made it to the big leagues, but his resume as a coach and manager is obviously great. Joe Torrey was both a great player and a, and a great manager. Uh, so David Ross, he is taking the full opportunity to shine right here. And you know what? We are in a season where there has been so much question and a decent amount of doubt. And he's got to deal with that, too. A lot of people going to the season under normal circumstances were thinking, you know, I don't know about this Cub team. We saw the disappointment of last year. They haven't done much. Is this the end of this core? What's on the minds of Chris Bryant right now, who is coming to an end for control um, with the team? Javi Baez, is he going to get that extension? There's a lot of questions right now. It's not like this is a young rebuilding team just kind of coming into its own. This is really a veteran team now that has had success in recent history. In the past four years, they've won a World Series. They've been to the NLCS, but they have also been pretty disappointing for what they were supposed to be the past few years. So this is a season where he's coming in and trying to push them forward, right the ship, so to speak. And there's a lot of questions on whether that can be done or not with this group, whether David Ross does a good job, so to speak, or not. And now we're in a weird season where anything can happen. So you just see all this stuff going on, and you think, man, David Ross really has his work cut out for him. So as we talk about that, let's go into some of the players specifically kind of behind the scenes, so to speak. We heard Chris Bryant talk with the media the other day about his status. We've heard all the trade rumors for months. We've heard about the extension, Scott Boris, yada, yada. And just today, Javi Baez spoke and said some similar things about an extension where there's been communication about an extension with him and the Cubs, but right now is not really the appropriate time to talk about it. Let's talk about Chris Bryant first, because we heard a lot from him. What were your thoughts on some of the stuff he said, including extensions, trades, and 
all that other stuff, and, and as well as the COVID stuff as well, because we know he's got a newborn, and we know he is kind of weary about being back on the field. Yeah, I mean, any player who has issues with the testing delays we saw over the holiday weekend and in the aftermath of the holiday weekend, they're totally in the right. The league laid out specific testing guidelines and timelines and frequencies, and they weren't being adhered to. So, yeah, if I'm Chris Bryant and I've got my infant son at home, of course I'm going to be nervous. That I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm as diehard about the game as anybody, but it's family over everything, especially yep. for guys like, like Bryant or Mike Trout. Uh, you, you know, you've seen him very vocally voice his concern mm-hmm. uh, given his wife is, is pregnant. And, you know, it, it just to get it out there, any player who feels unsafe or has a family member who's high risk or they themselves are high risk, if they decide to opt out, there should not be a single baseball fan in the country who has anything bad to say about him. No, of course I, not. But and, and I know I know there will be. But, you know, it just. I, I I love Chris. I hope Chris spends the rest of his career in Chicago, but I honestly respect him more than I ever have based on his, you know, his concern for his family and for saying, look, there are millions of people out of work right now due to the coronavirus. Now is not the right time to talk about a multi-million dollar contract extension. You know, it takes a special kind of person to, to know that and to be aware of that and, and to, to, act accordingly i guess i mean it it seems like common sense but there are a lot of people who might not look at it that way sure i mean one of the exact quotes he had and this was quoted by jesse rogers chris bryant said quote i wanted to play this year because i thought it would be safe honestly i don't really feel that and a lot of that uneasiness has to come from the fact that the testing has been pretty disastrous so far in this first week of camp not just with the cubs but with all of mlb all the teams there have been teams that sat out a day or so or a few hours because they needed to get those covid results back you know that shouldn't be happening this is something that has to be nipped in the bud right away because this is the safety of the players right here i mean that is directly linked to their health this isn't just like, oh, we're testing for PEDs. We're testing for, uh, you know, what kind of things they've been doing. This is, this is a disease that's spreading it, around. It's a pandemic. It's, it's got to be a, taken very seriously. Exactly. It's a pandemic. And what kills me in typical Major League Baseball fashion, you had four months to prepare for this. If you thought you had any chance at playing any kind of a season, the number one thing you should have started with and I understand that a, a large portion of it was the back and forth about money and health protocol. But you should have had this ironed out. You should yes. have figured out. We are going, okay, we have this many players on this many teams. These are the number of testing facilities that we're going to need to contract out. You know, This is how we're going to get the medical supplies we need. This is how we're going to ensure player safety. You can't just write it up as a proposal to show to the Players Association and then not deliver on it. It's just, it's negligence. You you cannot do that. That's beyond unacceptable. Yeah, it's it's not. And it's good that the players are coming out and ex- the players and coaches and other people are coming out and really hammering home the fact that we need better testing. We need more efficient testing. We want reliable testing because you have the whole thing with the saliva and the other testing and it's 
I don't really know exactly how those different ones work, like the rapid tests or whatnot, but the best thing to do is to have the most efficient testing possible as much as you can at a steady pace. You don't want to be sporadic. You want testing constantly so we know that these players are healthy or if they need to take care of themselves or not. And if it gets too rampant, you might have to shut it down again. But, you know, safety first. Human safety triumphs everything. I really hope that if the season does indeed start, that they can really have the kinks ironed out. They're going to need to. I would hope by then they would, but we've seen how rocky everything has been the past few months, so I can't say 100% that I feel confident that they do, or they will. No, but I mean, as uncomfortable as it is to consider and to think about, if they don't have it ironed out by opening day, there will not be a full 60-game season. No, it's that simple. There will be a player or be a team that is hit hard because of the lack of testing and, and, and the implementation of protocols and following through on them. And there will be a team that gets hit hard. And we've seen that all over the country and all over the world with large gatherings and people in close proximity. And it'll derail the entire thing. And right. Uh, if even if logistically you could work out the schedule where the 29 other teams play, you mean to tell me that the players on those other 29 teams aren't going to see that and be like, nope, we're done? Yeah, why would you want to play against a team that could potentially be sick? You could easily spread it that way. Yeah, I mean, the league has to have this ironed out. And they claim they do, and they claim they will, but with everything... Time will tell. Time will tell. I don't have a lot of faith in the league's current leadership, but maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. Well, we should hope so and demand so. (laughs) There's no way about that. All right, so let's talk into actual stuff that's going on on the field with the roster. We've been at it about a week, and a few transactions roster-wise have been made. Hernan Perez was added, whoop-de-doo. Brandon Morrow was cut. We all kind of saw that coming. But I think the biggest news roster-wise so far is the Jose Quintana injury where uh, he cut his thumb while doing dishes and he's going to be out at least a few weeks, maybe more. There is no set timetable, but one thing's for certain. Eyes are going to be much closely more focused now on the likes of Alec Mills, Colin Ray, and other candidates that were in that fifth starter mix, because I think Tyler Chatwood is pretty much set in stone as the fifth starter now, but you're going to need someone to come in for Quintana and it could be longer than you hoped or think. So yeah, I, this it's pretty significant news, even though Quintana has been pretty inconsistent as a pitcher with the Cubs, But the one thing you could always rely on Quintana is that he was always durable. You could always count on him making the start. Now you're going to have to have to fill that gap. And the Cubs pitching depth is much stronger in the organization from a bullpen perspective. From a starter's perspective, it's a little different. So you got to hope a guy like Alec Mills, Colin Ray, or even maybe Edward Alzolai could step in. But... You know, we'll see what happens. I. What are your thoughts on that? Quintana's been 
one of those guys, like you said, he's going to take the ball every five days. You know that. Yeah. And that's something you can, you can build your rotation around that. You can fill the other four spots knowing, okay, Jose is going to pitch every fifth day and we'll work around that. What we get is what we get. And, and he does get a, a bad rep with Cubs fans and it's through no fault of his own. Uh, has he been an ace? No. Was he ever an ace? Not really. Not on a legitimate contending team. Did, did the Cubs overpay? Yes. There's no debating it. There's no way you could say otherwise. But this is a chance for the guys you mentioned, you know, Ray and Alzale and Mills and, and everyone else who's you know in the mix. This is a chance for them to kind of make their mark and, and turn some heads and get some attention on themselves because next year's rotation looks wildly different. You don't yes. have Tyler Chatwood. You don't have John Lester. Uh, you know, you don't have Jose Quintana. So there are three open spots. And given Tom Ricketts' comments about, you know, the dire financial straits and the biblical proportion losses that, that they're suffering because of, of COVID-19, it's hard to imagine him going out and landing some big fish in, in, in free agency. So it's going to be on these young guys to step up and seize the opportunity and in my mind i'm kind of just looking at the quintana injury as just a bit of an expedited timeline for them to do so yeah this might be a real good audition time so to speak for the future because you are going to have to figure out that rotation frankly i don't think quintana comes back next year i really don't see that happening uh, he'll probably sign somewhere else unless the cubs get an absolute steal on him and i was say, gonna say i don't I don't know, will there be teams willing to give him what he wants? That's that's how I could see him coming back to Chicago. Like you said, he, they get a below market value deal for him. Because not just because of the injury this year and you know the perceived underperformance, but I think free agency is going to be a bloodbath next offseason. It'll be different. It'll be very different, that's for sure. And I think people will be on the lookout for durable-type players. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what his value is like in the offseason. Um, and, you know, it might be possible they bring him back and be like, all right, we need like a veteran innings eater down towards the bottom of the rotation. Jose Quintana can be that. Um, but right now, I think if I were a betting man, I'd say no, he's not back. I do feel like the Cubs are going to try to go youth movement as much as they can and really try to rebuild that rotation from within the organization that's been their goal that they're trying to do that um they're gonna see if Albert Alzali is the guy they're gonna see if Alec Mills can be part of the future and again this is what this season could be useful for um and you know there are other pitching prospects down in the farm that you know maybe they're gonna come along at some point because really next year the two guys you are pretty certain are going to be still around because they're under contract are you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. You're you're looking to replace 60% of your rotation and that's a tall order to do and you know we've always been told the the goal of the organization is to be consistently competitive. Um I mean for me all your chips are on the table this year. You you have to win. Because I could see the Cubs trying to unload a Chris Bryant uh, 
or players like that in the offseason, especially if they don't play well this year. But it's going to be on those young guys. At some point, the Cubs have to develop their, their pitchers. They have to do it, and they've shown a complete inability to do it for the last 10 years. And, you know, it's hurt them in a lot of ways. It's led to things like the Jose Quintana deal. They didn't have the depth in the minors. They couldn't circle a few names on a list and say, hey, these three guys are going to help us next year. So they had to go and overpay for someone like Quintana. And at some point, and don't get me wrong, the position player development's been out of this world. I mean, you, you got to love what you've gotten out of, out of that group, but you have to be able to develop pitching. At the end of the day, yeah. if you don't do that, you are not going to consistently win. Yeah, and that's why it was good that they got more power arms in the draft because you're going to have to build up more of that for sure. Um, another question I guess I had looking at everything that's going on is if we're going to assume that Jose Quintana is going to be out at least another few weeks going into the beginning of the regular season, let's say he does come back. How do you shift things around again? Because what if Alec Mills is looking pretty good in a few starts? Would you be tempted to bump him down to five and maybe move Chatwood down back to the bullpen if Chatwood's not doing good? I feel like whoever's auditioning in that Quintana spot, if they do really well, should at least try to stay part of that rotation for the rest of the year if they do really well if Alec Mills struggles or whoever takes that spot struggles then they could either go back to the bullpen or whatever but if they do really well and let's say there's another starter like a Chatwood that doesn't do so well I feel like they're going to be playing to try to earn a spot in the rotation at least for the rest of the year knowing that Quintana might be coming back if that makes sense yeah, I mean, this year, there is no margin for error. You have to perform. So if and when Quintana comes back, if there is a clear underperformer out of the rotation, you'll see that individual move to the pen. But I could also see a situation where maybe all five guys aren't world beaters, but they're they're holding their own. And in an effort to get Quintana back on the mound... Before, I mean, stretching, you got to start all over, stretching him out again. I mean, he, he literally cannot pick up a baseball for a minimum of two weeks from the injury. And then you got to stretch him out again. So, how long is it going to take? I mean, we could be almost a month through the season before he's stretched back out. So, maybe yeah. Quintana is that bullpen arm. They, they've got some, maybe. some depth issues from the left side in the bullpen. You've got Kyle Ryan, you've got Brad Week. I mean, you've got some guys, but you could always use more. And then I guess the third alternative I could see, I could see David Ross going with a six-man rotation to keep his guys fresh and let them go deeper into games. Sure. Yeah, no, I could see all of that. I could definitely see all of that. The six-man rotation thing is inju- is uh, interesting because just because the way the season is so different and you're going to be reducing your roster instead of adding upon it, it's again, it's a very weird season. So, yeah, maybe they do go that route. It will be interesting to see. Okay, so we're talking about getting off to a good start, no margin for error. Let's shift gears to the bullpen because I think a lot of people are talking about the bullpen. 
how do you feel? Because I'm still kind of uneasy. I mean, you look at the bullpen on paper and you see that the potential is pretty high based on overall resumes. But look, the main guy is Craig Kimbrell. And I know a lot of us reacted the other night when he gave up a bomb to Wilson Contreras and a laser single to Chris Bryant. And you could look at that and say, hey, Kimbrell stinks or yay, Wilson Contreras is hitting out baseballs. But looking at what happened last year, looking at what happened in spring training, looking at the fact that Craig Kimbrell is trying to develop a changeup, you know what that's telling me right there? He's making adjustments and you know what that means? We're probably not going to see the same Craig Kimbrell again. It's going to be a different Craig Kimbrell, for better or for worse. It's probably going to be different from here on out. The guy that threw wicked moving two-seam fastballs that once dazzled hitters for a good seven, eight years, that might be over. I'm not saying he can't be effective, but it might be a different type of Kimbrel we see. You have to give Kimbrel some benefit of the doubt. I mean, we're talking about one of the best closers to ever, to ever take, take the mound in in major league baseball's history. So you have to throw out last year. Don't forget about it, but you have to give this guy the benefit of the doubt because I'm here to tell you right now, David Ross is going to give Craig Kimbrel the benefit of the doubt. Kimbrel is the Cubs closer, and that will not change this season. No matter no matter how it plays out, and I'm not saying it'll be good or it'll be bad. It could go both ways very easily, but Ross is going to trust in his veterans. He has to. He has no choice. You have to have faith in the, in the Anthony Rizzo's of the world and of the Craig Kimbrels and the John Lester's. You have to count on those guys to do their job if you're going to have any shot in this all-out sprint. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's the situation they're in, and I agree they don't have much of a choice. I just, I'm not trying to write them I mean, off, what, but I, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't worried. Totally, yeah. I mean, anyone who watched him pitch last year who said they aren't worried, I'm going to question their eyesight. But, you know, again, I keep hearing, go oh, Rowan Wick. Rowan Wick has had one good season at the major league level. You yeah. mean to tell me you're going to trust an unproven pseudo-rookie over Craig Kimbrell, I, you can't teach that ninth inning mentality. You you have to earn it. And, and Kimbrell's done that. He's earned it. He's earned his stripes. He's won a World Series. He's made seven all-star teams. He's pretty much unanimously known as one of the best closers in the game. So I'm sorry. I'm rolling the dice with Kimbrell. I love Rowan Wick, and I think he could be a really good piece for us. But I need to see more than just a flash-in-the-pan performance. I need to see it year in and year out. I need to see... You know, what Pedro Strope did for, for half a decade, Pedro Strope took the ball, and you know it was lights out. The eighth inning was done. We were going to hand the ball to the closer. And I need to see more of that before I'm will. you know, I see a couple blown saves from Kimbrell and just be like, oh, well, you know what? Forget it. Rowan Wick, the ninth, you know, the ninth inning is yours. I, I, that's just not how I see Rossi managing this. Well, you know, here's another thing I wanted to bring up, too, about the back end of the bullpen. People, you know, they're talking about, you know, Kimbrell this, Wick this, Kimbrell this, Wick this. Let's not forget they brought in Jeremy Jeffress this offseason. And while he struggled last year, he's had some pretty dang good seasons. And I'm not sure what Jeremy Jeffress is going to show up this year. But 
if he looks good, then frankly, if Kimbrell is struggling and they want to make a change at closer or if Kimbrell gets hurt, I'd almost rather give the ball to Jeffress before I do Wick at this point. I mean, I like Wick's stuff. I think he's got a lot of potential, but when you think about it, the sample size we have of him, even though he pitched really good last year, it's pretty dang small. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Jeremy Jeffress, um, I could see Dan Winkler getting a look in that spot. Uh, another another one of Theo's buy low, you know, low risk, high reward signings from the offseason as he was scraping the, the bottom of the clearance aisle. But, you know, there are options. Don't get me wrong. The, the Cubs have a lot of depth. The question is, can it be impactful depth? Can it, you know, can that big group of signings net out two or three guys where you're comfortable saying, hey, the seventh is yours or uh, an inning loaded with lefties. Hey, that's yours. You know, we don't know. We haven't seen these guys. We barely saw any of them pitch in spring training. So as fans, you know, I'm sure David Ross knows, you know, he's got names on a list that he's likes and he's going to want to see more of in the next two weeks at camp. But as fans, we're kind of going in blind. We don't know what these guys look like. We don't know what the pitch tracks data looks like. We don't know what their workouts the last three months have looked like. So for us, it's kind of a crapshoot when we're trying to piece together what a bullpen might look like with or without a productive Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, and you know, you don't have time this year to play bullpen carousel. You just, you gotta have your guys in the spots they are now do what they need to do if you want to compete. You can't play the oh it's early we got to play around with the no you can't do that this year there is no room for error the only good news I could say about that is is that every other team is pretty much in the same boat you have to get out of the gates fast and hot and you've got to maintain it for two months and if you don't you're probably not going to make the postseason especially in a division like the NL Central it's going to be tight it's going to be one of those divisions like it has been the last few years where it comes down to, you know, a handful of games here or there that fall one way or the other. It's not going to be like the, you know, I look at a division like the NL West. The Dodgers are going to win the West. I don't care about the Padres' talent. I don't care about anything else in that division. I don't care that the Diamondbacks outperformed expectations last year. The Dodgers are the best team on paper. They should run away with that division. I don't see a team that fits that bill in the Central, which, like you said, means you can't play bullpen carousel mix and match and just hope and pray that you you know strike gold when you're trying to figure this out yeah exactly you know i think going into this season you're going to have a sense of urgency from every single team whether they're in a good position or a bad position in terms of competing if you're rebuilding if you're contending if you're somewhere in the middle everyone's going to be trying to win this because it's a 60-game season and wacky things can happen in a small sample size. So I, I would not be surprised if you saw some bottom feeders kind of hanging around and trying to chase down a spot for a while. I mean, it could happen. How many times do we saw some of those really bad Philly teams be like 10 games above 500 a month or two into the season before they fell? We can see a lot more of that this year. And you look at the Cubs, who they're going to play, you look at their division, and you look at the AL Central, and you say, you know, 
you have a lot of bad teams in there, but you have even more good teams that could make noise. The Cardinals, the Reds, the Brewers, and, you know, we're playing the AL Central, and you got the Twins, and you know what? I think the White Sox are going to make some noise in this this brief season, and you end the season against the White Sox, and they would love nothing more than to beat you. So it's going to be one of those schedules where you say, if you have any shot at making the postseason, you got to take advantage early because the schedule is a bit more favorable early. And then when you kind of go along, it gets a little tougher. So you can't do what you did last year in the beginning, that's for sure. If you start off 2-10, and 10, forget it, you're done. Yeah, and I mean, you're going to have, it's just, it's going to be so different than what we're used to. Because like you said earlier, we're used to the, uh, he'll he'll heat up, you know, look at Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo is never a strong performer early in the year. He always has his lower back issues because it's cold out. Now we're expecting, we need Rizzo to be mid-season Rizzo from day one to day 60. He has to be that guy every day. And that, that goes not just for him, but for every player. And, you know. It's going to be interesting because the schedule's different and you get those, you know, AL-NL matchups all the time. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's really exciting as, as people who cover the cover the sport and as fans of the sport. It's been a real rough year, um, way more than one front. But this is exciting. This is a chance for baseball fans to get something new and something exciting. But even if, you know, it, it does look a little different and there are certain you know, practices and policies that need to be in place to keep everyone safe. It's, you know, it's not, you can't just look at your, your division and say, okay, well, we should beat the Pirates this many times and we should beat the Brewers this many times. And no, like you said, those AL Central teams, you know, you've got to go up against the Indians. You've got to go up against the White Sox. You've got to go up against the Twins. Whole new look, guys, you haven't seen before. So it, it's, it's going to be a wild ride. For sure. Okay, so let's talk about some of these scrimmages. And specifically, there are a few guys in these scrimmages I want to talk about. So tonight, we just had one. It was the Hendricks-Darvish Bowl Part 2. And we have the results so far. Hendricks went three innings, no runs on two hits, four strikeouts. Darvish went three and a third. He faced an extra batter in the third. No runs, one hit, two strikeouts, Five outs via the ground ball. Why am I talking about you, Darvish? Because we got to talk about his new pitch, which he's been showing off. And players like Ian Happ have gone on to say how nasty it is. He calls it the Supreme. It is like a two-seamer and a fork-slash-splitter. So if a pitch is coming at you with the speed of a two-seamer and the movement of a forkball slash splitter, I don't know how the heck you hit that. Well, if you're Ian Happ, you don't. But, you know, I wrote about this when we, we first heard about the pitch. All I can think of is you, Darvish, rolling up to Taco Bell and ordering a Supreme. That's all <laughs> I can picture every time I hear about this. And I hope sometime this season we get a good Photoshop job that somehow incorporates this. But it just, Happ explained it perfectly. You go up there. Normally, you have a guy throwing three or four pitches. You can watch him, you know, someone like Hap usually sit, hits down in the lineup. Say you've seen this pitcher face six guys. You see how he structures his attack plan. You know, maybe he starts off with an off-speed 
three out of five times, or he throws a fastball every time on first pitch, or he pounds the inside or hits you low. With Darvish, you have to consider 11 possibilities. You know, the odds are stacked against you. And if he's locating, he's pretty much unhittable. And the one thing that really stood out when you just ran through that was he's getting outs on the ground. That's Mm -hmm. huge. When you Darvish gets outs on the ground, the Cubs have a very good chance at winning. It's yeah, he because if he's more economical. Zone, yeah. Well, and not just that, but he, he struggled at times with the long ball. You know, he'd pitch well, and then he'd just leave a couple pitches up, and hitters would punish him for it. So sure. if he's pounding the, the, the zone in the right spots, I'm all aboard the U Darvish hype train here in 2020. Yeah, especially since he clearly has his confidence back. I mean, you saw it last year. The confidence is there. The mentality is there. The work is there. And from what it sounds like, the strength is there. If he just keeps building off what he did last year, you're going to have that guy you paid all that money for. Because you could be a batter sitting up there and saying, well, I expect a fastball, but you get like a Frisbee instead. And then you have something that comes in with blistering speed. And then you have something that comes in with blistering speed and dives somehow that's pretty hard for a major leaguer to hit. I mean, if you just look at some of the videos and you see the movement, you kind of say to yourself, how is that even possible? How does like 60 feet allow for that type of thing to happen? Because when you think about it, 60 feet is not that long of a distance. And for all that to happen in like a split second over that short amount of distance, that's pretty nuts. Yeah, I went to one of his starts. It was one of his last of the year, and I forgive me, I don't remember who they played. It was during the week, I remember that. But it was one of those, I think he had like seven strikeouts in the first three innings. And I very much believed at that point, I was like, oh my God, he's going to strike out 20. Because he, like when he is locked in and he's mixing his whole repertoire like he was that night, he is unhittable. You cannot touch him. And it, it's so exciting. It's so nice to see him have that confidence and be comfortable because his first year could not have gone worse and you know we've seen guys with those big contracts you know jason hayward for example underperform and thankfully hayward has has definitely earned his spot huge clubhouse guy leader on and off the field one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet but it's really nice to see darvish come into his own now you know, he's accepting his role as a leader, accepting his role as a veteran. And I mean, he knows what people say about him. And now instead of shying away from it, he is ready to just take that challenge by the horns. And I cannot wait to see what he does with it. I know. I hear you loud and clear. I'm right there with you. I think that's the best way to to describe it, honestly. Now, here's something else that's very interesting about what is starting to happen more and more at these scrimmages. We have crowd noise, simulated crowd noise, cheers for hits, cheers for strikeouts. We have a bit more of a simulated game going on, and they have walk-up songs. Uh, David Ross says he wanted to kind of make everything as real as possible for these guys. So we're seeing a lot of this simulation of a real crowd, even though there is no real crowd. And a lot of teams are doing the cardboard cutout thing, and the Cubs have yet to announce to do something like that. Frankly, I think it'd be fun if they did, but either way, they're trying to make it more authentic. 
And that's kind of one of the things Ross is trying to do to keep the spirits up. I don't know how much of a mental impact that has, but I imagine it has to have some because you need to have these guys feeling normal again on the field while knowing the situation is very different. I just wonder in their heads when they hear the crowd noise, does it kind of click mentally like, oh, this is just feeling more normal again or do they feel like, oh, this is clearly just a simulation? I just, I, I can't help but wonder that kind of thing. I think you have to have it. You ha- Otherwise, it's like playing baseball on a tomb. I mean, to me, that would be more unnerving. Um, but I, 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 Tom Ricketts, I'm sure you are a loyal Climbing the Ivy listener. Get the cardboard cutouts done. That has to be a thing. It would be great. It's a one. It's a way for him to make money for Cubs charities. All of it could just go to charity. Um, you know, there's plenty of people in need right now. But again, I think seeing faces is it is a thing. You don't want to just look at you know, say Wilson Contreras hits a walk off home run against the Cardinals. What's that like? What's one? What's it like without crowd noise? Two? What's it like without people in the stands? And three? What's it like when you get to home plate? And you can't touch teammates. Celebrate like it's all messed up right now. But the least you could do is, you know, I keep thinking maybe instead of cardboard cutouts for the bleachers, uh, remember opening day 2015, the bleachers weren't done, so they had the, the uh, for lack of a better term, covers over the bleachers. Yeah, the, they had the Ernie Banks stuff. Ernie over. Banks. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you just print those out that look like fans and just cover the bleachers, out, you know, just to give it some type of quote-unquote normalcy. You know, put cardboard board cutouts behind home plate pump the fake crowd noise in do the walk-up songs you got to make it as normal as possible not just for players but for fans watching i don't remember which league did it overseas but i saw someone post that the outfield had like robots in the stands I'm not sure you could fill the entire Wrigley Field bleachers with robots. Also, we don't want to risk robot overlords, so I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, I think cardboard cutouts would be fun. I also think it would be a lot of fun if they play as much of that great organ as possible just to make it feel like an authentic baseball game. Obviously, they'll have the walk-up songs, but... They got to have the organist in there. And the new guy, I follow him on Twitter. He follows me. He's a really nice guy. The guy who's taking over for Gary Pressey. I really hope they implement as much of that as they can. Because to me, it's not a baseball game at Wrigley Field without the organ playing. Uh, Right before coronavirus hit, my wife and I closed on our first house. And one of the big selling points was this beautiful finished basement. I knew right away it was going to be a Cubs man cave. That was the end of it. That is my space. She can decorate the rest of the house. I will paint it whatever color she wants, put whatever furniture up. Totally fine. Let me have my man cave. That happened. Built it all out. Was ready for opening day. Coronavirus hit. But one of the first things I did when I heard about the second opening day here in a couple weeks, I went and found baseball organ music online and hooked it up to the surround sound. So I know on opening day, I can make my basement feel like Wrigley Field because Ah. it sounds dumb. But for Cubs fans, that sound is Wrigley Field it is baseball it means baseball is back summer is here so I totally agree yeah I give me organ all all times a day I could live in Wrigleyville and you could play organ music 24 hours a day seven days a week and I would not complain once well you know 
organ music has a very strong history here in the city of Chicago because not only was Wrigley Field one of the first ballparks to have the organ play in it, sports in the organ in the city has been very big. I mean, Nancy Faust played all those years at White Sox Park at Old Comiskey, and the biggest pipe organ around for many years was at Old Chicago Stadium. And if you... I don't know if you've ever done this before, and I don't know how many listeners have done it before. It was before my time, but go and listen to recordings of that Chicago Stadium organ. It is one of the most powerful sounds you will ever hear. One of the most powerful sounds you'll hear. And I've been to a lot of Blackhawks games where they have the electronic organ that's supposed to sound like the original. But if you listen to how that original organ plays those massive pipes in that small stadium it is something that is just awesome so i just i can't picture a major chicago sporting event outside of like football without organ music playing yeah i mean like you, you hit it right on the head it, it's history it's baseball it's chicago it's everything that we love especially during the summertime and especially this year. To me, it's what baseball fans need to hear. It's what the players need to hear. So as we're talking, there is a great tweet from Jordan Bestan, our lovely MLB insider for the Cubs, who was an Indian reporter, and then he came over here. So, haha, like Jason Kipnis, 3-1 lead. Okay, sorry, I just had to get that joke out once. But Jordan's a great reporter. I love following him on Twitter. Uh, He tweeted a picture of the bleachers completely empty, except for one spectator right under the video board. It's Anthony Rizzo chilling out because he's not participating in the scrimmage today because there are some back concerns with him. It doesn't sound like it's serious, but they're not risking it. But he's just the lone guy out there in the bleachers. He is living the dream right now. Oh, captain, my captain. I mean, Wrigley is his castle or ship, whatever metaphor you would like. I love it. It was great. I was about to bring that up. I had just seen it. That's awesome. I mean, hey, no one else is using them. Let Big Riz, you know, take a load off. Let that back rest up for a couple days and enjoy the sights and sounds of Wrigley Field. Well, you know what's interesting, too, is that when the players reported for camp and they were having, like, meetings in the stands, a lot of the players that played there for a number of years are saying, wow, we never had this perspective of the ballpark before. The perspective that the fans have, it made it even more special for them. Like being in the stands, kind of soaking it all in, you're used to going to work on the field and in the dugout. But when you're in the stands and you get a whole other perspective of this old historic building, for them it was really humbling. And you had Ian Miller posting all these pictures. Like he was like a, like a little kid at Wrigley Field. It was just cool to see. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's something that prior to this year, not just players, but maybe a lot of us as fans took for granted. A lot of us grew up around Wrigley Field and and took going to games for granted. It was just something we did in the summer, and it was great, and it was fun. And, you know, uh, maybe one of the silver linings that'll come out of this year is we'll all appreciate things like the beauty of Wrigley Field a little bit more. Oh, and Kyle Schwarber... Kyle Hendricks is still in there, and Kyle Schwarber just took him deep, opposite field. So I wonder if it landed near Rizzo. 
I I'm looking at the see Rizzo scrambling around the bleachers trying to catch it. Yeah, I'm looking at the video now, and they have the simulated cheering. If you could hear it over this microphone, folks. They even got the whoop there it is play with the crowd noise. That's great. That's they they needed to do that. I love that. Yeah, I love that whoop there it is for the home runs. They started that in about 2015. It, it's kind of like not quite to the extent, but it's like when the Blackhawks chose Chelsea Dagger for their goal song. Like when you think of Cubs home runs now, you think of whoop there it is. There's something I bet you never thought you'd say. <laughs> oh, Rizzo just left the bleachers. He didn't get the home run. Maybe he's at the concession stand getting a beer. I mean, I don't know. He's slimmed down so much. Maybe just, you know, maybe he's looking for a side salad concession stand. Because, man, he looks good. I know. This is um, this is pretty much as fit as we've seen him. It's funny because when I was an intern with the Chicago Bandits a few years ago, Rizzo was doing a charity thing. Um, I don't know. Have you been to Rosemont, Jake? Yep. Yeah. Have you been to the ballpark at Rosemont where they have the Chicago Dogs and the Chicago Bandits, those two stadiums? Yep. Have you seen the dome that's right next to that? I have. So the dome, Anthony Rizzo was doing a charity event there one of those days. I went over to see him, and it was actually the day right after the David Bodie home run, the walk-off grand slam. And I saw him, and he looked like 15 pounds heavier. And I'm like, wow. Like, I've never seen him that big, and now he's like a twig. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he faced the same choice all of us faced. You can either spend quarantine getting in great shape, or you can spend it eating and drinking and binging Netflix. And thankfully for the Cubs, Rizzo chose the former of those two options. Well, and you know, I think one of the reasons we talk about the players being so fit, being in shape is, it had to be really hard to stay motivated to keep working out when you don't know if baseball is coming back, when you have families to take care of and everybody's home. That's got to be hard to kind of stay motivated, I would think, at least for me. I don't know about other players, but maybe it's therapeutic for them to keep working out. But I feel like it would be easier said than done to stay in such good shape during the time of lull. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it, it was it was challenging, but I guess at the end of the day, maybe they just approach it as, look, I don't have anything else I need to do right now except this, so I'll do this, and then I'll go spend time with my family because, I mean, you're not going to work out, you know, 18 hours a day. So go in, get your three or four hours of work in in the morning with, with Napoli and and spend the rest of the time with your family, which I'm sure he got plenty of family time in because that's just that's how Riz is wired. But yeah, my hat's off to him. He looks great, and I'm I'm really excited to see him back on the field and hopefully here in a couple weeks. Thank you for reminding me that Mike Napoli is part of the Cubs organization now because I kind of forgot about that, and I know he's gotten a lot of positive responses from the people who work with him, and that's really cool. I really love it when former players come back to the game as like a coach or a trainer is, or as some role. Like we saw Kevin Euclid be part of our organization. We saw Manny Ramirez be part of this organization. I love seeing baseball players take jobs like that because I think that 
a lot of the times you see that they're just kind of freshly retired. Like they stopped playing not too long ago. So the players kind of look at them as a guy that some of them played against. And, you know, the Cubs played against Mike Napoli in the World Series a few years ago. And I just think it's it's kind of cool to see that kind of thing because you could think about what kind of stories they're telling each other when they're kind of doing the whole, hey, you remember this when I faced you? I think that's just, I think that kind of stuff is cool. I don't know if a lot of people agree, but I think that stuff is cool, as weird as it sounds. Well, I remember right, you know, Rossi was was perfectly willing to to accept insight from from Theo in the front office and bring back, you know, members of, of Joe's coaching staff. But Knapp was the one guy he really wanted, like he personally wanted on his staff. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that just it, it speaks to to Knapp's character and his experience in the game and what he has to offer players. And you know, like you said, he's it wasn't that long ago that he was still playing. So I I think that it makes it easier for, for those coaches like a Mike Napoli or, you know, a few years ago, a, a Manny Ramirez, those types of guys, it's easier for today's players to connect with them. Because if I'm talking to somebody like, I'm just throwing out a name, Chili Davis, if I'm talking to mm-hmm. Chili Davis, his perspective and the game when he first got into it is so wildly different from what it is today that maybe we butt heads. Maybe we see things differently. Maybe we were taught things differently growing up playing the game. I mean, baseball has changed dramatically in, in the three decades I've been around and watching it, let alone somebody who's been in the game for 50 or 60, you know, multiple decades on end. So so to me, it makes sense to have those guys like a Mike Napoli, a Kevin Euclid, a Manny Ramirez. They just, to me, they would connect to today's players better. Yeah, I think so. I th- I think that's one of the reasons why I like that so much. I, you nailed it perfectly. There's kind of the mutual respects that you get. You know, it was always kind of the traditional respect your elders, the man that's been around. But I feel like today, players love talking to other people they can relate more to. And I think the message gets across better that way. Yep, totally. Nailed it. Okay, so I have one question for you before we kind of wrap up. Would you pay $400 to sit in the rooftops this year if that was the only way you could watch a game in person? Uh, Probably. But, and there's a big but attached to that, if, you know, COVID cases were spiking or the proper safety protocols weren't in place. If I, if I didn't know that social distancing was going to be maintained and masks would be worn, you know, if, if I didn't have a guarantee on all of those things, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and I haven't not gone to a game for a decade, but, and I mean, the last two years I've gone to probably 20, just working downtown. It's just so convenient to hop on the red line from the loop and you're at Wrigley and it's, but Oh, God, I don't know. That's a lot of money. But may if I did once, not more than once, that's just it's too much money. And but I will say my rooftop experiences have been great because it is really nice knowing yeah, I put up all this cash up front, but that's it. Like it, I'm not going every inning to, to buy another twelve dollar beer or if I'm buying for me and the guy I'm with, you know, twenty five bucks every inning. You do that till the seventh, it adds up real quick. 
So I do like the, the, the aspect of the rooftops where it's all inclusive. You don't have to worry about it. It's, it's stress-free in terms of money, but I don't like that it is a very different environment. The rooftops are usually people who really don't care about the game. They're just there yep. for a good time. I yep. like going to games because I watch the games. Right on. Yeah, and I mean, now you have the video boards blocking a lot of the view. The bleachers have been expanded, so could you really even see anything for up there? There's, I... there's, there's like three or four that are still pretty solid views. Um, but again, part of me, like I said, I, having a, a basement, a new TV, and a surround sound system, part of me says, I'm going to pocket the $400, go spend $20 on beer, and order a pizza or grill hot dogs. And just watch here and save $380. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's you're going to have different policies than normal on these rooftops, I'm sure, just because of the whole COVID situation. You're probably not going to have, like, a traditional grill buffet or, you know, just kind of help yourself food. It's probably going to be a little different. And, obviously, capacity is not going to be full. It's going to be social distance and whatnot. So it's not going to be like a normal rooftop experience regardless. So maybe, maybe holding out and not going as much as we all miss Wrigley field, we miss seeing baseball, especially the Cubs play live. It will make the post COVID games. So, you know, the say, you know, this fall or this winter or early next year, there's a, a coronavirus vaccine and the, the virus is eradicated that first game back at Wrigley Field where everyone knows they're safe and it's back to a normal world will be amazing. It'll be like game of one of the World time. Series. It will. That's what it will be to people. It will be, okay, we're back. This is it. Like, this is what I missed. This is what I took for granted and didn't appreciate. But, you know, just to be back and, and the smells and the sounds and the sights, you know, it'll just be like turning your senses up to 100. Yeah. Exactly. It'll feel great. And I don't know exactly when that's going to be. Hopefully 2021, which they already re- they already released the schedule, which is kind of crazy. They released the schedule today and I did a quick view over. It looks like we're opening up at home and then ending in St. Louis, which feels like pretty much every other year. But and it also looks like they're playing the AL Central again. So, yeah, more twins tigers and all those teams but yeah kind of crazy we already have the schedule for next year for 162 games you you might as well put it out there because i mean as things currently stand there's a good chance it'll change so you might as well just give people to to something to to latch on to to think about to hope for and hopefully like i said it'll it'll encourage people to be and take precautions and think of their fellow baseball fan uh, as we all work through trying to enjoy a, a very atypical baseball season. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, well, that is just about to wrap it up here on Climbing the Ivy. Jake, thank you so much as always when you come on. I know we always enjoy having you aboard and always have good conversations on here, always fun talking to you. We'll have you on again soon. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to remind everybody to check out Cubby's Crib at cubbyscrib.com. You could also check out the social media pages for Cubby's Crib on Twitter and Facebook. You could also check out the rest of this podcast on iTunes.com. Until next time, he's Jake. I'm Alex. Have a great night. We will see you next week.